Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that your steadfast love would be heavy upon us here this morning. Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we would know you and see you by faith, not by feeling. That we would hope in you, both for what you have done and what you will do. Lord, that we would rest in your love, which is manifest here in this place among these people who love us and love you. Father, we need you to make this happen in our hearts this morning by faith. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning by your spirit. We ask this. We need you to do this. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. My sermon text this morning is from Psalm 33. Psalm 33, which we responded to just together. St. Athanasius, a long time ago, he said that the Psalms are the only way to understand the emotions of the soul. The emotions of the soul. The Psalms teach us and heal us, he says, as we speak them. As we speak them out, they teach us and they heal us. And as we act them out in our lives, this is what St. Athanasius calls us to. So this morning, I want to encourage you from Psalm 33. That's my goal this morning, to encourage you with the gospel according to Psalm 33. And at the center of Psalm 33, we recited together these words. And this is the central image. This is the main idea I would contend here in Psalm 33. Look with me at verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Verse 14, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 15, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on us this morning. The eye of the Lord is on us. Now, I must confess in reflection upon this image. God seated on his throne high above me, looking out or looking down on me. This image of God looking down, all of, all of this language, looking down or else seeing or observing All of this language felt for me many times this week like distance language, merely distance. He is high and lifted up, the psalmist says, and so distant from me. So St. Basil, when he's commenting on Psalm 33, he calls this image of God the lofty spectator. The lofty spectator. That's how I felt. This is where I began. This is how I... I'll confess to you this morning, this is where I began this week, asking this question, why, God, do you leave me all alone? Why do you do that so often? Why do you leave me alone? Why, God, did you take Abram away from all his family and his support structures and into a foreign land? Why was that your plan? Why did you promise Abram and Sarai 
blessing and offering and make them wait decades and decades and decades. Why? Why, God, did you let your cousin John languish in prison and then get beheaded for proclaiming your gospel? Why? Why did you let Lazarus die? Why, God, did you leave Peter and James and John on the mountain of Gethsemane to fall asleep? Why didn't you stay right next to them and lift up their drooping eyelids? You know, like you're keeping your kid awake in the car so they don't fall asleep and ruin their nap, right? Why didn't you do that? Why did you leave Peter alone to deny you three times? Why did you do that? Why, God, didn't you call down legions of angels and come down from the cross and knock all the unbelieving, jeering masses on their faces before your glory and majesty? Why didn't you do it that way? Why didn't you reveal yourself immediately to your disciples after your resurrection? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you take back your throne in Jerusalem after you had risen from the grave? The Lord looks down from heaven. He looks down from heaven. I must confess that at first, the eyes of the Lord upon me did not bring me comfort. It brought this question or else this accusation into my heart over and over again. Why God? In other words, why God do you hide? Why do you hide from me? Why not overwhelm me with your presence all the time? That's what I want. That's what I want. Blinded by my feelings and my frustrations and my sense of inadequacy, my real inadequacies, all of my supposed strength, in that place I cried out. And then I realized, then I realized that this question of my heart, this response to his sight of me, I was not alone in my response. Psalm 13, a psalm of David, begins like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel, not in your counsel, because you're not answering my prayers, but in my soul, and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long? The Lord looks down from heaven and he sees me, but I cannot see him. I want to see him, so I cry. I cry out like a baby who needs mom or needs dad. Come. Because I don't want to live by faith. I want to live by sight. But then I realized, but then I realized that the very first step of faith is bringing this very frustration to God. This is, not, this is not against faith. This is the first step of faith. You can see, I cannot see you, God. Why do you hide from me? Show yourself to me. Show up. This is the first step of faith. The song of faith begins with a cry, with a question, even an accusation directed to God or else directed at God. Not to myself, not a questioning of myself, not a questioning of another person, but to God. So we join our voice with the jeering crowds. Imagine yourself around the jeering crowds. And God doesn't come down from the cross and prove that he is present right then. He doesn't do that. 
Not yet, anyways. One day he will. One day he will return in glory, and every knee will bow. One day seeing will be believing. That will be, that will be true one day. So this request, this faithful request of the Old Testament saints or else the kings or the disciples is not a bad request. We want to see. We want to see you, Lord. We want you to show up. But not yet is his answer. Faith comes not by sight. He doesn't want us to substitute our feelings and our experience for faith. He wants what's best for us. Peter Crave says it like this in his book on prayer. God hides his presence from us so that we can practice his presence by faith. We can practice it by faith. This is one of his most precious gifts, his distance. The felt distance of God is one of his most precious gifts to us and one for which he has hardly ever thanked. The song of faith begins by crying out to God with a question, which, like Abram, doesn't lead to an immediate answer. It leads to a long life of faith. When I don't hear God's answer, or when he says no to my question, then I, like the fool that I am, take counsel in my own soul. This is how David puts it. He takes counsel in his own soul, and I'm with David. I'm with him all the time, taking my own counsel always leads me to have sorrow in my heart all the day long. All the day long. Now, there's no inscription before our psalm this morning. There's no, there's no uh, specific context given to Psalm 33. It's not given to us, but there is a contrast or a choice before and after this central image of God seeing us from His throne. There's a choice before and after. Look at verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Verse 11. You could say but. You could say but here. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever. In contrast, the plans of his heart to all generations. So here's the context. Here's the contrast. The collected wisdom of all people or the counsel of the Lord. And his, his counsel is described as an affectionate counsel. It, it comes from his heart. It proceeds from his heart or else the plans of his heart. The counsel of my own soul, the collected counsel of all people in every age and in every time, even, as verse 16 says later, the greatest counsel of humanity, or else the king's counsel, the king's wisdom, even the highest and most powerful counsel of man, is ultimately, the psalmist will go on to say, it's false hope. All of our collected words, they cannot rescue. This is the language of the psalmist. Don't we all know this to be true? Don't we know this to be true? Haven't we tested our own counsel and the counsel of the world countless times, and it only leads to frustration and nothingness? This is the song we just said together. What is my counsel? My counsel is 
Trust in me. Trust in my strength. If I were only strong enough, then I'd be okay. All you need is a little bit more faith in your life or else a little bit more excitement in your life. You don't need anyone else or you need someone else. This is my counsel. Schizophrenic much, right? Are you feeling sad this morning? My counsel, here's some more mindless entertainment so you don't have to think about it. Are you feeling desire drain out of you? Watch a bunch of people playing games on thrones, murderously chasing after sex and pleasure, but it's not real, it's only entertainment, it's okay. Are you feeling alone? Sit alone by yourself and endlessly swipe through a bunch of other people who are feeling depressed and alone, so they make silly videos on their phones so they don't have to think about their sadness. So we watch them with our head down on our phones and we join in the sad song. My own counsel, or else the counsel of all people, the counsel of influencers and kings and thought leaders is all vanity and hopelessness. And we wonder why we are all self-centered and we're sad. This is, this is where we're at. This is the contrast. This is the choice before us. The Lord looks down from heaven. If I take my own counsel or the counsel of other people, then God seeing me only makes me frustrated. It only makes me despair or self-centered in my self-loathing. But, but he who fashions our hearts, the psalmist says, he alone knows how to heal our hearts. So take his counsel, which is the counsel of faith, or else the counsel of the faithful. The plan of the Lord's heart for the faithful is an invitation to shout at him with loud shouts. This is what he invites the faithful to do first to cry and sing all of our questions at him with new words every day. This is what he invites us into. God's powerful and affectionate word answers the question of Psalm 33. It's not my question, why do you hide? It's the question at the end of verse 17. Who can rescue me? Who can rescue me? Who, who is it? Who can rescue my soul from my self-medicating, my own pain? Who can rescue the souls of all people who all believe the lie in every age? And we spend billions and billions of dollars reinforcing this in our lives over and over again that we can distract ourselves from paying attention to our broken and our wretched souls. Who can deliver us and rescue us from this? from our mindless entertainment, from our doom-scrolling, from our silly games or our endless fanaticism. Who can rescue us? Verse 18. Behold, and the psalmist turns back to this central image. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, verse 19, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Who can rescue 
our soul from death? Who can rescue our soul from famine? Not only from final death in the end, not this final death. Who can rescue our souls from the slow death of feeding our ever-diminishing desires like an addict? Who can deliver us from this? From the famine of feasting on our foolishness? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Behold, the eye of the Lord is on you. He sees you. Not just your public image. He observes your heart. By faith, his sight, and not our sight of him, his sight of us, not our sight of him, his seeing us can rescue. He bears our sorrows even as he teaches us to trust him, not by our feelings, but because we hope in his steadfast love. And the early church fathers over and over again, they describe the sight of the Lord from on high coming down below us to see us from below in the sun. And so the psalmist concludes with this image in mind. Our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. He sees us. Let your steadfast love be upon us even as we hope in you. So how can we actually do this? This is the question. How did I in small little ways, begin to turn the corner from seeing God's vision of me from above in despair into turning into hope? How did I go from this distant image that inspires doubt and fear and anger and in moments, in moments, not all the time, in moments, inspires faith, hope, and love? Trading my doubt, my fear, and my anger with faith, hope, and love. Well, I'm going to have two points of application quickly here at the end. But before that application, here's a short, famous quote from G.K. Chesterton. Hear this. This is really important. I'm going to speak about some ideals. Some ideals of Christian discipleship. G.K. Chesterton says it like this. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. So, hear me. The two points of application are not easy. This is not the easy way that leads to destruction. This is the narrow, difficult way of faith that leads to life. But God looks upon us with mercy and patience and kindness, so don't be afraid. So, two points of application. How can we actually wait for the Lord with hope? We have to shout prayers and we have to sing prayers. We have to shout prayers and sing prayers. So first, shout prayers. Psalm 32 ends with these words, many are the sorrows. So these are the verse, the verse right before our psalm. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Why does his steadfast love surround the one who trusts in him? 
The sorrows of the wicked multiply because they don't bring them to the Lord. But the righteous bring them to the Lord. Hear this from Psalm 32 and verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Pause. Rest there for a little bit. When I kept silent, it wrecks me, Lord. God, help me not to be silent before you. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Pause there. Rest. When I opened my mouth, God, you forgave me. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found, which is right now. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Lord, would you surround us with the shouts of your deliverance? I'm not far away from you. When we keep silent, we waste away. When the day and the night are heavy upon you, When you are groaning all day long, don't be silent. Shout your prayers. Shout your prayers at the Lord. Why do you hide your face from me, God? Why? Why do you hide your your face from me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the words of our Lord. Why do you hide your face from me, Lord? Forgive my sins, forgive my trespasses, cover my shame. Shout it to the Lord. Shout your prayers, and He will surround you with shouts of deliverance. This is the order of faith. We are going to have some opportunity, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit during announcements, to shout our prayers individually and together this Lent. I have... I have a plan for us to learn how to get good at shouting to God, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. How does he surround us with shouts of deliverance? Psalm 33, verse 1. The beginning, the beginning of our psalm here this morning. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. With loud shouts. 
So we shout prayers and we sing prayers. We sing prayers loudly, okay? We sing loudly. Hear the loud shouts of the saints throughout time. St. Augustine, strip off your oldness, Christian. You know a new song. You know a new song, a new person, a new covenant, a new song. Shout it out. Sing it out, Christian. St. Basil the Great, the loud shout is when those who are fighting side by side in a war shout out in unison with each other. Shout it out together in a new song. Even if we yell our loudest, our prayers are not loud if they are offered alone. They're not loud until we do it together. We were not made to pray alone or to praise alone or to make melody with one string alone. That's not the call of the faithful. Not one string. We make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. With the harp of all nations gathered in Christ together singing the song of faith with a loud shout. This inspires the best poetry in the world. And one of my favorite poets who's an old hardcore musician, okay? So I'm traveling back 20 years into my past. He's, he said this, this verse in better than anybody I can ever imagine. Hear this, hear this poetry. Why pluck one string? What good is just one note? Oh, one string sounds fine, I guess, but we were once one note. We were lonely wheat quietly ground into grain what light and momentary pain so why the safe distance this curious look why tear out single pages when you can throw away the book why pluck one string when you can strum the guitar strum the guitar Strum the guitar, strum the guitar with no beginning and with no ending. Take down the guitar and strum the guitar. Strum the guitar if you're afraid. And I'm afraid and everyone's afraid and everyone knows it, but we don't have to be afraid anymore. This is the language of the psalmist right here. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Stop plucking one note. Join with the chorus of the saints and shout praise. Shout praise to our God. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on us. Though you do not see, you can believe. You can have faith this morning. Though you do not feel His presence, you can trust Him. To put faith in God with shouting prayers and shouting songs isn't pie in the sky distraction from our pain or else our struggles, or anxiety. Distraction is what the world offers. This is the frustrating plan of man. It's not distraction. While our soul waits for the Lord, He shields us as we come to Him with loud shouts. He shields us. The One who fashioned our heart can make us, and He can make us new. He can give us a new heart by the Spirit. He can make us glad in Him. And this never happens by ourselves. It can't, it can't. At the end of the day, it can't happen by ourselves. We can and we must join with the army of saints and shout praise because of His steadfast love. The Lord who seated in heaven 
sees you this morning. Call out to him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.